Hi, everyone, and welcome to season two of the Infinite Capacity Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Morton, here to give you world-class life coaching tips, tools, and strategies that are especially helpful for moms in midlife, and also to share the fascinating stories of incredible women just like you who are doing the work to reach toward their own infinite capacity. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to season two of the Infinite Capacity Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Morton, and I'm a life coach based in Southern California who helps moms in midlife to grow their self-confidence and take action. I help them to develop powerful mindsets and routines and set healthy boundaries. Here on the podcast, I have the privilege of coming together with all of you twice each month to teach you valuable skills and tools, and to interview incredible people who have shared stories about tapping into their own infinite capacities. Today, I want to talk to you about the difference between the things we say, the things we mean, the things other people hear, and what they make our words mean to them within their own paradigm, and how all of this comes together in ways that can be satisfying or unsatisfying, beautiful or frustrating, helpful or unhelpful in our relationships with other people. And in talking about this, we're also going to look at tone. We're going to look at word choice. We're even going to touch on mindset because the lens that you choose to look through when you're analyzing your life and your personal interactions will really make a difference in how conversations or situations affect you and how they go. So as we start off today, I want you to think in your brain about a conversation that you have had recently in your life with someone who's important to you. It could be your child or your partner. It could be a best friend, a parent, a colleague, or a boss that you see pretty often. It could even be with your family doctor. And for the purpose of this very first activity, I'd love it if you would choose someone that you already really like, trust, and respect. Someone that you have very good innate thoughts about. Now just visualize yourself talking to this person and feeling close to them as you do. And you can think back to positive interactions that you've had in the past, and you can put yourself back into that connected energy with this particular person that you've chosen. Now, I want you to imagine that this same person from your life, someone who you really genuinely enjoy and that you love talking to, says to you, hey, something seems off with you lately. What's going on? Now, As we've discussed, you're hearing this question from someone who you already like, trust, and respect. You have a good relationship with them, and you truly believe in your heart of hearts that this person cares for you. So when they say, you seem a little off, what's going on with you? You don't feel attacked or taken off guard or defensive or even uncomfortable. Because you like this person, your brain offers you lots of kind thoughts that say things like, oh, how nice of them to worry about me. 
oh, I'm lucky to have a friend who really notices me and cares what's happening in my life. I'm grateful for this friend. You know, I am eager to really open up and talk about what is going on with me. Or, gosh, it means a lot to be seen, known, and loved for who I am. Can you picture this situation and can you think of someone who might already care about you like this and also have a close enough relationship with you to say something like this to you, to ask you this kind of a question? Okay, great. Now, let's look at tone and how tone can change our interpretation of a conversation or not, depending on who we're talking to. So tone is defined by Oxford languages as vocal sounds with reference to its pitch, quality, and strength. And as a secondary definition, tone can also be defined as the general character or attitude of a piece of writing or a situation or a place. So we can integrate these two different definitions to show that tone can both be a vocal sound or a pitch and also something that connects to the attitude that those sounds represent. So let's go back to those words that we've been discussing. That little question, hey, something seems off with you lately. What's going on? Now, this could be said with a lot of different tones. And depending on who is the person using the tone, you might interpret their words differently. Let me give you a couple of examples. I'm going to say the same sentence. Hey, something seems off with you lately. What's going on? Versus, hey, something seems off with you lately. What's going on? So you can hear those are just two different tones. Now, if your beloved grandmother is talking to you, your older 80-something grandma, she cuts to the chase, but she's a really good person. Even if she does use a tone that you might normally interpret as curt or acerbic or even rude, you might still interpret her tone as love or kindness. Now, I want you to picture yourself talking to someone that you don't really like or feel comfortable with. This should also be an important person in your life, not just a random salesperson or a gas station attendant, but someone that you do see and engage with in an important way and someone that you may have thoughts or feelings about that might not be the most positive. This could be a sibling that you have a tricky relationship with. It could be your ex-spouse, someone that you share custody of your kids with. It could be a boss who makes your skin crawl. It could be your child's teacher, someone with whom you've had difficult conversations about your child or their behavior. It could even be, frankly, one of your kids who right now is maybe not very appreciative of you as a parent. So I want you to picture yourself talking to someone who naturally makes you feel less safe and less at ease. Can you sense that you already have tension in your shoulders? Maybe you clench your jaw a little bit when you see this person coming and you don't breathe as easily when you're around them. Now imagine that this person, the one you really don't like being around, imagine them saying, hey, something seems off with you lately. What's going on? How do you think you would respond 
if these words were coming from a boss that you dread working for, or your ex, or someone else around whom you generally feel uncomfortable. What kind of thoughts would you have in this situation? Would you still be thinking, how kind of them to worry about me? Or would you feel judged by their questions, skeptical perhaps, or even defensive? Would you be looking for a hidden meaning or taking their words as proof of something that you already suspect about them? Would you listen for a tone in their voice that would underline for you a sense of unease or discomfort? Would you be listening for a tone that was too harsh, too abrasive, or maybe too slick? And how would that tone impact your thoughts about their motivation or their intentions when they talk to you? Word choice can also make a fundamental difference in how two different people perceive the same discussion. If one person places a different emphasis or a different connotation on certain words than the other person does. Communication is such an essential part of being human. And since most of us use words and tone to communicate our thoughts and feelings, we sometimes assume that we all understand things in the same way. And then we can feel very confused or disconnected when it turns out that we're making meaning in a very different way than others are from the exact same situation based on our differences in our perspective or our life experience. I'm going to share with you an example of how this can play out in real life. So let's look together at the word anxious. Now, the the literal definition of anxious is experiencing worry, unease, or nervousness, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Today, I'm going to share with you a story about how a nurse and I recently made a very different meaning from the word anxious and how that difference in meaning almost derailed my diagnosis with a real uterine condition. So about a month ago, I went to the urgent care because I was feeling really weak dizzy and nauseous, so much so that I could barely walk or even hold my head up straight. That is not a normal situation for me. And because this is a podcast made specifically for midlife mothers, I don't mind sharing with you all that I had been having a heavy menstrual cycle for over two weeks at that point. It was the longest period of my entire life. But at age 45, I assumed that I may be in perimenopause which is a time that is known for new and unusual symptoms. As someone who has experienced a a consistent menstrual cycle for 32 or 33 years, I trust myself to know my own body and to know when something's really off or wrong. So I knew something was really off about both this very heavy period and also the fact that I was so weak, dizzy, and nauseous that I couldn't walk well. That's just not normal for me. And when I arrived at urgent care and finally got seen, my nurse turned out to be a very sweet-natured young man, probably in his late 20s, maybe early 30s, who was very compassionate and calm. He wasn't a woman, nor had he uh, his own menstrual cycle, but he was very kind. And our conversation went something like this. The nurse said, so 
Can you tell me why you're here tonight? And I said, I feel so weak and dizzy and nauseous that I haven't been able to walk without support, and my heart has been racing like crazy. I just don't feel right. I also had a bad heart rhythm recently, and I needed to have IV potassium. And the nurse said, have you been feeling anxious about this? And I said, well, yes, I've had a period now for more than 14 days, and it's been really heavy. I've been feeling anxious about that because I don't know how to make it stop. And then the nurse said, did you know that anxiety can cause all of the symptoms that you're experiencing, including weakness, dizziness, nausea, and even more? It's possible that you could be experiencing anxiety and panic today. And I said, really? Are you saying that that is why I'm having trouble walking? Because I'm anxious? And then he replied, well, panic attacks can feel just like heart attacks. They can be very powerful. They can cause all kinds of unusual symptoms. And then I replied, so all of this is just from anxiety or stress? I almost passed out while driving my kids home from school today. And then I burst into tears in front of the nurse, overwhelmed by the notion that all of these physical symptoms could be coming solely from an anxious brain. The nurse responded kindly, well, it definitely could be. And then he talked to me for 20 minutes about pharmaceutical solutions and natural supplements for anxiety. And he never once mentioned my period. The entire conversation was around the topic of anxiety. Finally, as he was wrapping up, about to go, I said to him, so my blood work was okay and it didn't show anything? And he said, well, it looked pretty good to me. And I said, really? Okay, so are my iron levels still okay? About my blood count? You know, I've been losing so much blood. Would you mind checking, please? So he checked because he was a very nice young man. And he said, oh, actually, your red blood cell count is abnormal. It's very low. And it looks like your hemoglobin has gone down a lot in the last four days. And your iron has also plummeted and your hematocrit. Actually, it looks like you've become pretty anemic. Okay, I'll tell the doctor about that. He may want to look into it further. And then I said, could anemia also explain why I've been feeling weak, dizzy, and nauseous? And he said, um, yes. And then he and a young male doctor spent the rest of the evening tracking down the source of my heavy bleeding, which turned out to be an actual uterine condition. Now, let's look at what I said and what I meant versus what the nurse heard and what he made it mean. I said, I've been feeling weak, dizzy, and nauseous. I've had a period for more than two weeks, which makes me feel anxious because I don't know how to make it stop. I meant that something was wrong with this cycle, and I thought that the bloodlust could be affecting my health. The nurse saw a woman in her mid-40s who looked pretty healthy, describing feeling weak and dizzy and nauseous, and who said she felt anxious. So he ignored the part of the information that I had provided to him about the menstrual cycle, and what he really heard and focused on was, I've been feeling anxious. And he made the decision that I was having a likely panic attack. 
and then spent over 20 minutes discussing remedies for panic. The kind nurse meant to reassure me that panic attacks are normal, that I would be okay. However, he had ignored or not taken into account some of the most important information that was available to him, the actual results of my blood work. And he had also ignored several of the words that I had spoken to him. We were together in the same situation, but because we were strangers who did not know each other well, it took us quite a while to come to a mutual understanding. We got stymied by the differences in our understanding of and our use of the word anxiety. He didn't know me well enough to trust that I was a pretty good judge of my own cycle and that it was worth looking into. And I didn't know him well enough to figure out that he might simply need to be looking through my blood work a little more carefully. So this created a temporary miscommunication, which wasted time as he discussed panic attacks rather than tracking down the source of my heavy bleeding. And I experienced a sense of overwhelm and confusion when he told me that everything could be in my head, which it clearly ultimately was not. Can you see how what I said and my meaning were very different from what he heard and the meaning he made because of a single word choice and what each of us made that word mean? Now, let's look at the case of my client, who we'll call Susan, who had a difficult conversation with her ex-husband, Dan, about switching the weekend schedule with their kids. Susan explained to Dan that it would mean a lot to her to spend her upcoming birthday with their kids, even though her birthday happened to fall on one of the weekends each month when, according to their legal agreement, Dan would have the kids. Susan said to Dan, could we please trade weekends so that I could have the kids on my birthday? It would really mean a lot to me. And she meant that she would like to see their kids on her birthday. But she also meant that she missed her children when they weren't around and she didn't want to feel lonely on her birthday. Inside of her brain, this made sense and changing weekends with Dan was a small thing to ask. But Dan heard Susan say something different. He heard her say, I don't respect our legally agreed upon schedule and I want to have our kids on one of the weekends that belongs to you. He made that mean that she didn't respect him and that she wanted more than her fair share of time with their children. He made it mean that she didn't want them to see their dad. So Dan's reaction was hostile, and his tone came across as being cold and disagreeable. He told Susan that there was no way he would trade weekends, and he was very surprised that she had even thought to ask. Now, how could Dan and Susan have such different thoughts and feelings about the same exact set of words? How could one person mean, I don't want to be alone on my birthday, and the other person interpret it as, I don't respect you, I'm greedy, and I want more than my fair share? All of this, of course, comes down to mindset. As we discussed in season one of this podcast, your mindset is made up of beliefs that shape how you interpret the world and yourself. And your mindset makes a major impact on how you think, feel, and act. If Dan has a negative lens or pre-existing judgment about Susan and assumes that she's a selfish or dishonest person, he's going to hear her request through that lens. 
Alternatively, if Dan had a positive lens or a generous view about Susan and assumed that she was a kind, good-hearted, or honest person, then he would hear her request quite differently and perhaps be more likely to have considered it. And if a young male nurse has a pre-existing idea that many middle-aged women who complain about dizziness, fatigue, and weakness may be having a panic attack, then he might think to ask questions about anxiety rather than following up on a specific discussion about menstrual problems. But if that same nurse has had a lot of patients who developed severe anemia from menstrual blood loss, then that nurse might be less likely to focus on anxiety as a possible cause of weakness. Our lens, our prior experience, and the views that make up our mindset can have a massive effect on how we interpret and respond to the words of others. But how do you pull yourself far enough away from any given situation to get a grasp on your own lens? How do you step back far enough to think about the meaning that you are giving to someone else's tone or their word choice? And how do you get a handle on your own tone and word choice when you are in the middle of a challenging conversation? The first step here is awareness. You need to notice that you are looking through a lens. So many people don't recognize this. They think that those are just the facts. But you are looking through a lens that is optional. Almost like looking through a pair of glasses, you need to recognize that it's just as easy to take those glasses off and see things very differently from a different lens. All of us in all of our relationships are viewing things through a lens. We often spend a lot of time then looking for proof to back up and defend our lens to justify it. But the first step to heal things is really just being aware that you do have a lens and that even if your lens feels factual, it's actually just an optional perspective. And then after awareness, the next step is active decision-making. You now get to choose whether you like the optional lens that you're looking through. You get to decide for yourself if you like the words that you're using or the tone you're adopting. You also get to decide if you like the meaning that your brain has made from the actions or words of another person. Susan could recognize that she is currently looking at Dan through a lens that makes him look like a cold-hearted or self-centered human. She may choose, if she wants to, to look at Dan as a hurt, flawed human who's lashing out at her from pain. And this choice could move her from a place of anger or resentment into a place of compassion for Dan. Dan could recognize that he was looking at Susan through a lens that made her look greedy, selfish, or disrespectful. And if he wanted to, he could choose instead to look at Susan as a loving mother to their kids who must sometimes feel lonely or sad. And that choice could move Dan from a place of judgment or, you know, hostility into more compassion for Susan on her birthday. Both Susan and Dan can develop awareness of how the word choice they use and the tone they adopt affects how the other person will view them and their decisions. 
And they can also become aware that their former partner is assuredly looking at them through a lens that may or may not be accurate. The tools to help them move forward to successful co-parenting will include awareness and choice. So now I'd love for you to make this personal, make it about you. Do you have a relationship where you are operating from a negative lens about the other person? Are you looking for the worst in that person's words or tone in order to support a story you're telling yourself about that person or the meaning that they have when they speak to you? If the answer is yes, you have an opportunity now to choose something different. Do you want to look at them in this way? Does it serve you to do so? It's a lot to think about, I know, because I've done this work. And, for example, I decided that I want to look at that nurse from urgent care as a kind and compassionate young man who cares deeply about how anxiety affects women in midlife. I know I could decide, alternatively, that he was simply a young man who doesn't understand middle-aged female bodies or menstrual cycles that well, but I'm choosing on purpose to think the very best about him, and I've chosen to look for the best in his mindset while still looking out for my own health. I make this choice because it feels good to me. It makes me feel empowered And it also makes me feel better about the hospital and the medical care that I received. I'm not deluding myself, but my mindset is we are all just doing the best we can. And that gives me peace and comfort as I reflect upon that urgent care visit. Could changing up your lens on purpose help you to change an actual relationship? And is that something you'd actually like to do? Think it over this week. And please do reach out to let me know if you have any questions or thoughts about this episode of the podcast. It's such an honor to be here with you. And we're so excited to be back for season two. And that's what I have for you today. Hey, everybody. If you like today's podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platform, such as Apple Podcasts and then sharing it with a friend. The best way for these stories and strategies to change women's lives for the better is by sharing them with the people that we care about. You can follow or message me, Andrea Morton, at Think to Thrive Coaching on Instagram and Facebook. And if you want to know more about the life-changing one-to-one work that I do with midlife moms, please check out my website at www.thinktothrivecoaching.com. We'll be back in two weeks with another great episode. Really looking forward to seeing you then.